Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up! Up you wake, up you wake, up you wake, up you wake! This is America. Don't get you slipping now. CIA owns this? No. No. Uh, independent aviation consultants. Oh, this is legal? If you're doing it for the good guys? Yeah. <laughs> Just don't get caught. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. I don't know. Something's like crossed over in me. And I can't go back. I mean, I just couldn't live. I know. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. I mean, come on, let's kick the ballistics here. Ain't no Uzis made in Harlem. I mean, not one of us in here owns a poppy feet. This thing is bigger than Nino Brown. This is big business. This is the American way. Yeah. I got the strap. Hey. I gotta carry him. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go into this. Yeah, yeah, this is good. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Kautzer, and today we are beginning a new ongoing series we closed out last week we closed out um badass women where we were looking at uh some really uh strong women in cinema and now we're we're on to another topic another ongoing topic that will close out the second season of the b-movie podcast uh with this is america um I don't think that you guys may have the right idea about what This Is America is a, is about. So um, let me go ahead and take a few minutes to explain what this whole ongoing series is. And essentially, it is a series that I'm taking a look at America, not in the uh, John Philip Sousa sort of way, um, no pomp and circumstance, uh, I'm actually taking a look at it from, you know, uh, from a perspective of film and the way that some filmmakers portray America, um, either through exploitation, drama, whatever it may be. And you're going to see a wide variety of different kinds of films. And what really excites me about this series is that it gives me a chance to uh, program and curate some stuff in that I've really not. I've really not uh, figured out how to actually uh, get them in, um, but with this particular ongoing series, it made perfect sense to to bring some of these uh, double features and just random one-offs that I didn't know how to program, and I found a good way to program them in. So you're gonna get some, you're gonna get a lot of variety in this in in this particular ongoing series. It's not, it's not going to all be genre exploitation stuff. You're going to get some dramas. You're going to get some comedies. Uh, you're going to get a lot of great stuff. And I, uh, and the outlook, uh, that, that is within these films are, are wildly inconsistent. And by inconsistent, I mean that they, they portray different points of view. Some have a very cynical point of view about America. Some have a very, uh, optimistic point of view, but, I feel like that's the way that I think every American feels, especially right now in 2018. I think that we're a mixture um, of conflicting emotions about our uh, about our state. Um, there's a lot of a lot of shit that's going wrong, but then there's also a lot of stuff that's going good and right. 
Um, and uh, I just felt like I wanted to talk about America as a whole. And how to do that is, for me, is through film. Um, through the films that I've seen, the films that I want to share, it kind of gives you an idea of where maybe my headspace is. So... Um, buckle up. Uh, we're we're headed into this new series, and we're starting off with I feel like two very very interesting choices. I think that they play off of one another very well. They're they're extremely different in the way that they approach uh, their subject matter, but they deal with a very they they deal with the same subject matter, which is drugs. Uh, so this is America entrepreneurs. Yes, I was being a little glib. I was being a little bit of a sarcastic ass, and I don't give a fuck. Because um, I personally feel like this this whole thing about drugs is something that we self-created. Something that I don't have an answer about. I'm not going to talk about. Uh, And I felt like it was... It was kind of an interesting time to actually talk about these two films, American Made and New Jack City. The reason is is because uh, we have uh, Sicario Day of the Soldado coming out. Uh, We... Uh, like we have a, a Netflix show in uh, Narcos that is ending its run fairly soon, um, but has had three seasons of amazing television. Uh, we've uh, gotten numerous, numerous films about this particular subject. And I think that the two that I'm talking about, uh, American Made and New Jack City, have been unjustly forgotten about in this discussion Um, and we'll get into that and the reasons why, uh, for each of them, but, um, they kind of play perfectly together as a double feature and we'll get into that. Um, we'll get into that in a, uh, like, you know, at a later point, but why don't we kind of, uh, why don't we get into our first film? Uh, we're going to be talking about our next film in the next episode, uh, American Made, uh, uh, directed by Doug Lyman starring, the indomitable Tom Cruise. And what I find funny is, is that this is the second Tom Cruise film that I, I've discussed, and it's the second film that he did of 2016. And both, I feel personally, were crashed and burned and for no other reason than, well, with The Mummy, I feel like it's it's one of those things that's going to be a cult item that more and more people are going to really get into. Um, there's no defending that movie. I know, even though I defended it on uh, that, that podcast, uh, if you guys want to go ahead and take a look for that one, you just go back to the October, the Halloween era um, films. And I did that. I did a, a great double feature with that and Life Force. Um, de- definitely check that one out. Uh, but Tom Cruise, uh, American Made, uh, it's, it's the not so true life story about a true life character named Barry Seal. Barry Seal was a um, was a drug runner. Um, he ran for the Medellin cartel. Um, he also had some involvement with the CIA and um, the DEA and uh, some of the higher higher ups of the American government, which ended up with him being a part of the Iran Contra affair. Um, it's a very wild story and it's told with this kind of it's not a wink and a nod. But it's it's done in this very like it's the best way to describe it is it's Billy Wilder by way of Martin Scorsese, because at a certain point it becomes about paranoia because of the heights at which Barry Seal um, 
attains with his his salesmanship and entrepreneurship um, throughout the entire film, building an empire for himself out of the out of the shitty situations that he's been given. And uh, let's just kind of get right into it. Like uh, like I had said previously, it's it's a not so true story about a true life figure. Um, this is not a film where you're going to go into it looking for historical accuracy, even though it's about a historical figure. Barry Seal is a real man. Um, look nothing like fucking Tom Cruise. This dude was, I mean, his nickname with the Medellin cartel, which Pablo Escobar as in the Medellin Colombian cartel was El Gordo. Like, and if anybody knows a little bit of Spanish or knows, um, Guillermo del Toro's, uh, like, you know, what they called him for a certain time, El Gordo is the fat guy or the fat one roughly translated. So yeah, Tom Cruise is not gaining a shit ton of weight in this film because he's fucking Tom Cruise. But what Tom Cruise brings to this film is that charm, swagger, and salesmanship that we, we've we come to expect from him since uh, 1983 uh, with Risky Business. And in this movie, it's used for massively great effect. This, it's this, it's this story of a man who's put against the wall and seems to find ways to use that to his advantage, thus being the ultimate salesman um, in this regard. And Barry, as portrayed by Tom Cruise, is this like slick ass pilot that's running on running on fumes because a he's bored and b he's he's stuck like i mean he's literally stuck in where he is as a as a commuter uh, a commuter pilot for delta and it's only because of some stupid shit that he's doing that he comes in contact uh with the person that's going to make his life eventually a living hell um played by dom hall gleason um a man who's supposedly named Schaefer. And if you can't see, you can't see me right now, but I'm literally using air quotes. Um, and Dom Hall, uh, Dom Hall Gleason uh, is, is a part of the CIA. He's a, uh, he's a CIA agent that does what the CIA agents do, which is manipulate, coerce and push their, um, their contacts into doing things for the quote unquote good of America. And you're going to hear me use those quote unquote a lot in this film because, um, what I love about this film is there's this kind of very, there's this very strange love style, uh, sense of self and self-awareness and, um, just this kind of air about it, the way that it, it deals with the policies and politics of, of this era. I mean, in this film, there is an angry, angry, angry film that would eviscerate everybody in the 80s from Reagan all the way down. But that's not this film. Um, this film is very different. It's it's this kind of wild, rip-roaring comedy of errors that before you know it is strangling you and it changes from laughter to gasps because it just slowly does its business behind the scenes. It It's a film where you're watching it and you have a, a narrator that 
is not necessarily unreliable, but is putting a spin on things so that by the end, even though you were given all the clues, it still comes to a massive shock when, you know, he runs he runs out of space and he's painted himself into the ultimate corner. Um, and that's kind of like the beauty of the film is that it manages to be a film about drugs, a film about American policy on drugs, but it never does the nor the, the things that those kinds of movies does or do. Um, there are deaths, but they're, they're done off screen. Um, there's not, there's guns, but people don't use guns. Um, there's, there's nothing in this film that really kind of lives up to the normal, um, drug, uh, you know, drug empire film, though there is a car bomb. Um, it's, it's done in like, it's done as a, as a kind of like a rise and fall comedy. Um, but the rise and fall ends in, in death, destruction and, um, a huge black eye, uh, on American policy with, when it comes to drugs. Um, I don't think that it's a secret that they're like, you know, the CIA, like, I mean, it's pretty much well known and I'm not trying to be political here, but I mean, it's pretty much well known that the CIA helped the Colombians, the Nicaraguans, um, uh, these people that were in corrupt positions of power, to get their product, their uh, the coke, uh, the cocaine that eventually turned into crack, and more on that in a minute, um, into America. I mean, this is not something that's that's like fucking uh, conspiracy series shit. I mean, this stuff is pretty well documented that the CIA was helping these people, these Sandinistas, and um, uh, and the PLO and like they were just doing some really, really off color shit that ended up coming back to bite them in the ass, um, which I mean, you know, regardless of whether or not they were they they were doing good or they were trying to think that they were doing good. It still ended with the with with America having a major drug epidemic and that responsibility. I mean, even in American maids eyes is put directly on the government. Uh, it's a film that I feel like is lighter than air, but it definitely behind, behind that, uh, that kind of light touch. There's a very, there's very, very, very sharp and concise criticisms towards America and American policy on not just drugs, but on foreign, uh, on foreign policy. Um, you see, <laughs> you see like uh, this all through uh, the through the eyes of Barry Seal, but specifically with his contact um, uh, Schaefer, played by Dom uh, Domhnall Gleeson, which I feel is like a more insidious performance than his uh, than his in um, in the Star Wars series as General Hux. Because Hux is, I mean, Hux is a cartoon. I mean, like, you know, he's an evil bad guy, but he's a cartoon. Um, Schaefer is flesh and blood. I mean, he's like a guy that you could, like, he's not based on anybody, but he's definitely an amalgamation, from what I understood from the research, of these kinds of guys, these operators, these in, these CIA contractors that are not contractors, but, um, the C, uh, the CIA agents that, that 
that basically work contractors. Um, and Barry was one of the best uh, of the bunch. And he gets embroiled in multiple, uh, like uh, Schaefer gets him involved in multiple, multiple items, like multiple like political situations. As you can tell, I'm already talking about s- stuff. And I want to I want to let everybody know up at front is that the one of the reasons why I, I like selected this movie was because it deals with all of these things, but it does it in such an entertaining way and in such a way that you understand everything that he's getting involved in. Um, I, f- I feel like like use, like making a political thriller or any kind of film where you're dealing with real life events and you're dealing with like issues like this can get really, really, really easily muddied by, by the quagmire itself. And Doug Lyman, whose dad was in politics and he was actually, um, he was actually one of the prosecutors for the Iran Contra affair, which he's been trying to make an Iran Contra affair movie about Oliver North since, I think since the born identity. Um, and you can actually tell like in a lot of his movies, there's a lot of, of his interest in that particular incident because I mean he grew up during that his father he grew up while his father was prosecuting and going through the investigation of Oliver North and finding out all these horrible horrible fucking things and if you don't know about General Noriega and um and the Iran Contra affair and all of the shit that Oliver North did um, do a quick Google search and you will find out some shit that's very eye-opening. You think that that shit's happening now that's kind of crazy? Look at back then. I mean, it's it's just as bad. Um, but <clears throat> in this movie, he's able to, Lyman is able to very easily construct and disseminate everything that you need to know about this, uh, about the way that this happens and how embroiled Barry Seal gets into this situation. But the funny thing is, is that Barry is very tangential in this story, which allows really great commentary and set pieces within the film, because it's never, it's never like he's embroiled into these things in a way that he's talking to a president or anything like that. Um, but it's, it's, it allows for a lot of bending of history because if you know that era, like I, like, I mean, I know that era, uh, pretty well, this film plays fast and loose with a lot of the characters and a lot of the incidences, but they do it for a reason. I mean, Lyman, um, Lyman and Cruz, who this is their second collaboration, their first one, which I I know that we will eventually get to. I will eventually talk about. We will cover Edge of Tomorrow. Um, that is something that is on our list. Just trying to find uh, a place to actually uh, to actually cover it. Um, <clears throat> but they they seem to have an understanding of. They both seem like like-minded people when it comes to um, storytelling and specifically the storytelling that you would do with Tom Cruise. Uh, very much so, very similar to the way that Christopher McQuarrie has really understood how um, how to make a Tom Cruise film. But what I love about Lyman is that he's able to get Tom Cruise to make these movies that bend his image about 20 degrees, which is all you really need from a superstar. Um, 
I feel like he's been doing Cruz has been doing the most interesting work of his career in like the last like tw- like the last half of it uh, the last half and then slowly but surely because of those personal incidences that have happened people have just kind of outright rejected him with the exception of the Mission Impossible movies where you know Tom Cruise tries to kill himself for everybody's entertainment and we love him for it um I mean but on the other side, he's doing these great action films and genre films that are that are some of the best work of his career, and nobody's watching them. I mean, literally. I mean, I mean, I mean, American Made made no money, even though it was like one of it was one of my favorite films of last year. It made my top ten um, B movie uh, B movie podcast uh, 10, 10 best of 20, 2018 and or twenty seventeen, and no one went to go fucking see it. And I still don't understand. I mean, I understand why. It's just a it's the wholesale rejection of Tom Cruise, unless. He's in a fucking Mission Impossible movie. Um, But he has one of the best uh, supporting casts that he's had in a long time. Uh, Not to say that any of his other films don't have some great supporting casts. But here, I mean, he's got, uh, you know, he's got, I've already spoken to you about uh, Domhnall Gleeson, but he's... Like, okay, so if you if you look at it, he's got the what I like to call the trifecta of ginger, which is he has the three redheaded actors that are currently working today um, that are doing amazing work. Dom Hall, uh, Domhnall Gleeson, of course, we just talked about Jesse fucking Plemons, who if you're not if you're not actively searching out Jesse Plemons roles because he because you knew him from Friday Night Lights or Breaking Bad. Watch just watch his episodes of Breaking Bad, and it will convert you into a Jesse Plemons fan, and you will understand why he's being hired by the greatest directors working right now because he is so fucking good. Um, and of course, everybody's favorite, um, everybody's favorite greasy little fucking he always put like he always portrays what i love to affectionately call shit stained characters like his characters are always just shit stains uh cable caleb landry jones um and uh, you know he's also got lola kirk um uh sarah wright um uh, Alejandro Eda, uh, Benito Martinez, all of these guys, uh, like are surrounding him and they do these, this great unfettered work. Like all of them are doing really solid, solid work because they're not calling attention to each other though, though Caleb Landry Jones is definitely like an eye raising kind of casting. Uh, but they all do this like great work around Cruz and Cruz himself is fucking just, I mean, he's on fire in this film and he's really kind of, uh, you know, pushing every, I think he, fe- I feels like he's pushing everybody to be better, especially, um, Gleason. I mean, him and Gleason together, like it's this chemistry that's just great. And my favorite part about it is that Cruz is like if you watch the film, Cruz is so deferential to Domhnall Gleeson as as Schaefer. Like he he lets he lets he lets Gleeson take the energy, take the power position. And when you watch it and you watch his acting, watch for it. It's not it's not an easy thing to come in 
and not, I mean, tower, basically tower over Cruz, uh, or bring, come in and be able to be the bigger swinging dick, so to speak. And the way that you, you do this is not by trying to overact or outact Tom Cruise or out charm Tom Cruise. The thing is, is that you have to let Tom Cruise has to let you do that. He has to be deferential. And I feel like he definitely does that with um, he definitely does that with Gleason. And it, it's if you watch anything, watch it for the hit their scenes together. They're they're amazingly written, acted and directed. Um, it it really does feel like. Lyman was trying to really go for a 70s feel, but like this kind of 70s Alan J. Pakula, but by way of Robert Nemi. I mean, if you don't know who Robert Nemi is, um, he did Hopscotch, uh, which is a which is a great film. And it has a kind of similar tone as American Made does. Um, and it's like that those paranoid, those Alan Pakula um 70s paranoia thrillers there it's kind of like this great amalgamation bastardization of those two and Lyman very on the sly photographs this film like it was circa like 1975 and Jeffrey Unsworth is 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 a cinematographer um I I still am kind of amazed at how beautiful the film is because there's this sheen of like it's like a diffuse filter that's over it. It's if you know Jeffrey Unworth, uh, Unsworth's work in the '70s, you definitely know what I'm talking about. And it, and here it's it very much so is there. It's it it's beautiful. I mean, it it really is beautiful. But I mean, Lyman is I mean Lyman was his own cinematographer for the longest time, and he still does run a camera on set. And from what I understand, um, the the flights. Uh, that they did in this film um, where Tom Cruise is flying is all of his work because he's an accomplished pilot. I mean, he's been flying for like close to 20 years. So I feel like part of this film and part of the reason why he wanted to make this film was because of the flying. And, um, you know, he has a a great co-conspirator in in Doug Lyman and they found a way for Lyman because he's a cameraman to shoot these scenes with Tom Cruise uh landing and flying. I mean, there's some amazing work here. Everything that you see where the camera is pointed at Cruise and you see outside, that's real work. That's not green screen or blue screen or any of that fucking bullshit. I mean, it's really him and behind the camera is Lyman uh as they do some of these crazy fucking things like take off and um, land. I mean, I know that doesn't seem like it, but if you really know about flight and you know about um, like airplanes and filmmaking, how fucking nuts that is. How they like, I just want to, I would love a documentary, a 30 minute documentary on how they negotiated the insurance bonding of Tom Cruise being able to fly his own, uh, his own fucking planes in this movie. Like, cause he's like, there are literally scenes where you see he is literally like there's literally moments where you can see he is really flying. And I mean, the camera is so close. There's no kind of artifice there. And I, uh, that's one of the things I really do love about Cruz's films. I mean, mission impossible. Like, I mean, you know, he does all his own stunts, so we know it's real. 
they make it a big point. I mean, that's the advertisement now for the last uh, the last three of these films is come see Tom Cruise do some crazy ass fucking stunts like going 150 miles an hour on a fucking Ducati or uh, uh, like, you know, like fucking rock, mountain climbing off of a fucking the, the tallest fucking building in in Dubai. Um, all for your fucking pleasure. And now halo jumping. If you know anything about a fucking halo jumping, Jesus fucking Christ, that's fucking crazy. Um, sub atmosphere fucking jumps. Uh, that's just nuts. And here it's like, this is like a walk in the park. Like this is just flight, but it's still very impressive. Like I, um, I love the flight, uh, the flight, the flying scenes in this film. It's, they're just, they're, they're done with an eye for, for cinema but not only that they they really do feel like there there's a there's somebody behind the camera that understands the way that flight works and i mean that's a testament to tom cruise and to doug lyman i really kind of i love i love everything in this film uh that that deals with the uh, with the flight um it's very interesting another thing that really is interesting is it's a it's a period movie but it never plays like a period movie like um i i have a i have a tendency to reject period movies especially these kinds of period movies like 80s style period movies but lyman and uh, lyman and cruz have found a way to make this like a not annoying kind of affectation of the movie like even though it is set in the 80s it never feels like it's a movie where it's a period piece like it feels like the movie was filmed during the era that it was made in and i know that that sounds like like that sounds like i'm i'm picking at straws but it really isn't there's a very distinct different a difference between making a movie that is a period piece and making a film that feels like it was set in the era or filmed in the era that it was it was made in and i feel like american made definitely has that down to a science um because it doesn't call attention to anything like it doesn't make it doesn't like like one of my biggest pet peeves is the over sexualization of cars and clothing in uh, period pieces like literally you you're making an advertisement for like like a, a 1980 uh, like you know um, mercury coupe and it's shot like a fucking advertise, like a fucking perfume commercial. And Doug Lyman doesn't do that in this movie. Like he doesn't, he doesn't do that with the clothing, with any of the the vehicles. It's just there. To approach it is very much so like like a you you have to be kind of utilitarian with with these types of things um, because it instantly automatically kind of takes you out of the film. Like I know that there are certain period pieces where I watch it and I just roll my fucking eyes because they take more time in investing in the production design and the costume design and showing that off than they do in the story that they're telling in the directing of the actors. Whereas Doug Lyman, it feels like he's going in and he's directing the actors and the production design, costume design, 
um, of the film, art direction, is secondary, which it should be in every film, even though all this time and effort is made on these these things. And I can tell you, just like, you know, after watching this film a couple of times, they get the period details correct. But there's there's a point of showing it fucking off to the point of distraction. And there's that moment where you can just let it like it just it comes out and it's it's a car is a car and that's what he has and he has it down so perfectly it's so great to watch this movie and just be for like like for me it's refreshing to see um a director not do that um because it just there's no call for it uh there's no call to make the films that kind of uh I don't know. It just, it feels like it's, uh, there's cinematic masturbation and then there's cinematic masturbation. And then I feel like this is cinematic masturbation, like where it's just, it's just doing it to do it. It's, it's to make it look pretty. And there's no use for that. Like I have no, like recently I've just had no use for that in cinema anymore. Like unless there's a purpose for it, uh, don't show it to me like that. I mean, there is a time and a place for it, I guess. But like, you know, for me, give me give me a good story and and then give me the give me the style but don't give me too much style because there are very few people people that can do style over substance and this is definitely not a style over substance film which i really love and um one of the more interesting facts about this film is because it's it's telling a specific slice and a specific style of story and a specific time period it's not a cradle to the grave um dissertation on eight the 80s drug cart uh, like the 80s drug problem or a drug epidemic it's literally telling a certain slice of it and i really like that about the film i like the fact that they get into the minutiae of this particular story and it doesn't try to tie it it doesn't try too hard to tie it to the grander scheme of things even though it is definitely tied to the grander scheme of things. I mean, he was a piece of the bigger puzzle, uh, Barry Seal. Um, but because they're playing so fast and loose with facts in this movie, that it makes it, it doesn't make it a little bit easier, but it makes it a little bit freeing, or it makes it a little bit freer of this whole like this whole thing that we have where we have to make everything fit into the grand scheme of things and it doesn't it doesn't play like that um which is i i find really refreshing and the the reason now to the point of where why i like this uh, this double feature and why it connects is because um barry seal dies in 1986 and new jack city begins in 1986 and 1986 is a very specific year um it, it's it's a very telling year because that's the year that it became an issue like drugs became an issue and crack became an issue um up until this point it was coke and it was undercover and we were dealing with we were dealing with that in a very behind the scenes sort of way in America and in 1986 is when it blew uh it when it uh, blew its lid when Ronnie and Nancy fucking decided to make drugs a, a, an epidemic 
And I mean, I guess with good reason, but I think that their motives were very ulterior. I'm not going to say anything here with that. Um, but I like, I feel like by my next choice, you kind of understand where I'm coming from, uh, with what, uh, with us going into new Jack city, a film that I feel like has been forgotten by, uh, uh, cinema and critics writ large, which I feel like is a very, very, very important film, not just, uh, not, uh, not just for like action cinema, socially relevant cinema uh, and African-American cinema or black cinema, but just in cinema in general, like I feel like that movie in at the beginning of the nineties really, really kind of sets the tone for in a lot of ways. I feel like, the way that the way that people shot New York in in um, crime films and in in films with police, I mean, it definitely definitely um, was a heavy influence on Law and Order, and we'll get into that and in, we'll get into that in the next episode. But I want to prep you for that. I want to prep you for um, for the fact that. When you watch these two as a double feature, it's going to lead right into that. And the, the reason why is because it's 1986. Like instead of a theme, which there is a theme that connects these two with uh, the war on drugs, the quote unquote war on drugs or uh, like our drug epidemic. But um, I think that the big thing that naturally transitions it and the reason why I'm having you watch American Made first and then New Jack City is because they they talk to one another in a lot of ways. Like American Made sets up the ground rules and the groundwork for what would end up becoming the epidemic in New Jack City. Um, and we will get into New Jack City in the next episode. Uh, you can always reach out to us on social media, Letterbox, Instagram, and Twitter. They're all the same three handles. Uh, the All three handles are the same. B movie pod, the letter B, the word movie, the word pod, all together, no lines, no dashes, no bullshit. Um, I would especially, uh, I would, I would say to especially if you were going to follow anything, follow the um, letterbox account because the letterbox account will actually post a week in advance what we're actually going to be talking about on the next uh, the next podcast episodes. So you can kind of get ahead of the curve, be able to watch the films in advance and listen to the, um, listen to the podcast episodes without, uh, without any worry about, okay, well, I haven't seen this movie before. Um, I kind of like wanted to give that to, uh, like a little extra something for you guys to follow me on letterbox. You can always follow us on Instagram where we're always posting things. And then Twitter has kind of tailed off just because it, it will tell you when the episodes post but for the most part it's been kind of limited uh twitter's a fucking dumpster fire where there's no return from and uh, personally just you know not engaging in that in, in just the dumpster fire of it all uh but i am still posting it's just it's not as active as uh, like the Instagram or even the Letterboxd account. But you can find us all there. Um, you can also read uh, my work and then also the work of the writers that we have. I have working on the Movie Isle. Uh, the Movie Isle is the website that I um, that I'm the proprietor and editor in chief of. Uh, we've got some great writers and some great writing coming up uh, this week and in the past, of course. We've got a new writer, Olivia Mo. She's actually coming up online and we'll be uh, posting some reviews uh, fairly shortly. Of course, you know, Scott Phillips. Uh, he's got some great stuff going on on the site, too. Also uh, got 
uh, Marie. Uh, Marie's actually going to be uh, posting some stuff also. So it's all to say that there are a lot of things going on uh, on the movie aisle and definitely, definitely check that out. And again, thank you guys for your listenership. It means the world to me. Uh, it means the world to this podcast. And uh, be on the lookout. Uh, there should be some bonus content coming down the pipeline fairly soon in between our episodes are our double features. Um, no need to sign up for a Patreon or anything like that. Uh, we do this uh, at this point. We're doing this all out of the love. All you have to do is subscribe to us. Maybe at a later point, we will have an uh, we will have a Patreon. But at this point, no, it's just not going to happen. It's just not. It's just not a. Um, it's just not us right now. So enjoy the free, uh, the free additional content along with the normal free content. And uh, with that, I will talk to you guys very soon. Thank you.